You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A new poll shows a lot of Canadians are facing a personal financial crisis. More and more are dipping into savings just to make ends meet. Travis Prasad spoke to the experts about what it means and ways to help you avoid going into debt. From grocery prices that leave shoppers with sticker shock to double-digit property tax hikes, for some, the cost of everyday life is too much to bear. Yeah, it's gone up quite a bit. Yeah, fruits, vegetables, gas, yeah, it's, it's out of control. The latest data from the Angus Reid Institute shows two in three Canadians have recently cut back on discretionary spending. There's not much else you can do. Yeah, yeah. and especially if you have young teenagers, well, you never have enough. According to Angus Reid, spending less is still not enough to make ends meet for two in five Canadians who say they're now forced to take money out of accounts they try not to touch. Prioritizing cash flow in the short term is probably the most important right now. Um, paying down debt is the second most. If you have emergency savings, it probably means that you've done a good job of saving for a rainy day, and now it's time to weather the storm. Money's tight, and you have to, it has to come from somewhere. Wages aren't going up, but food and mortgages definitely are going up. One-third of Canadians say they've had to defer contributions to their RRSP or TFSA, and one in ten are stretched so thin they've had to get a bank loan, sell an asset, or borrow cash from friends and family. But instead of taking on more debt, Andrea Frustacci says... Best option right now is to see where we can tighten our budget. Um, I'm especially looking at things like our monthly entertainment expenses, like streaming. In the federal budget tabled last month, the Liberals included some cost-saving measures, including a one-time grocery rebate for low- to moderate-income households. That's not going to help. It might help you for a month or something. It's $300. not much. On Wednesday, the Bank of Canada is expected to announce the key interest rate will hold steady at 4.5%. This as inflation slows, but the strain on wallets remains. Are you saving any money at this point? No, no, no. I'm spending, I've been spending more than I brought in for the last year now. Travis Prasad, Global News. Housing affordability is a hot topic, and a new development project in Victoria could dramatically change the capital's downtown core. Richard Zussman has more on the Harris Green Village project and why it could be a model for other redevelopments all around the province. A parking lot set to change a city. It's transformative for downtown Victoria. It's one of the biggest in the history. It's going to bring about 1,600 new rental units. And for me, it's going to add people to our downtown core that are lost. In the midst of a housing crisis, Starlight Investments is forging ahead on Victoria's biggest housing development. Phase one will start later this year between Cook Street and Vancouver near downtown. Two towers, more than 20 stories each. Then an additional thousand units will come on between Vancouver and Quadra, phases two and three, before the end of the decade. We're seeking to bring in a higher and better use, which is mixed-use developments. The inclusion of purpose-built rental with a mix of commercial and retail and community space. As construction is set to hit the ground running, some retailers are for now getting stopped in their tracks. 
Frontrunners will be left with years of construction and eventually a new home. Whether it's an LRT line coming through a downtown like in Vancouver or something, or whether it's you know just a small neighborhood locally owned store like we are here in Victoria, um, it can impact. And it's not just an impact on retailers. More people puts pressure on roads, hospitals, schools, and on street parking. Because many city councils are telling developers they have to build less parking than there are units. Our council was happy that we're going to be getting 1,600 new people downtown, but it was the thought of can we handle 1,600 more cars downtown? And I think a lot of us would agree our downtown is already pretty heavy with traffic. A lack of parking may be annoying, but it saves costs, something all regions in the province are watching closely. This would be one factor that would be bringing the average rent down to lower than it would otherwise be if you were providing a more conventional parking supply rate. Making it an easy choice for many. Get rid of their car in order to find a home. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, last week the mayor spoke out on the province's plan for mm -hmm. increased density. Most agree density is needed, but they do have some key concerns. They do. It depends where you live. It depends what type of density we're talking about. It could be towers, such as we saw in Richard's story, which is really going to transform the Victoria skyline. We don't have towers over here in the capital to speak of, and that's going to change. But there's also a different type of density called gentle density, which does increase the number of housing units, albeit at a much smaller scale, and puts less pressure on the municipality when it comes to providing such things as parking spaces and sewers. We caught up with Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart, who walks us through that. Gentle density involves trying to make existing neighborhoods work with more housing units. And so a neighborhood like uh, behind you uh, might be able to evolve into, instead of the current four units to the acre, about uh, 12 units or 16 units to the acre, which is similar densities to a lot of townhouse developments. Communities are trying to achieve gentle density so that we can get densities that support public transit better and densities that essentially allow for more residents to populate uh, some of the schools that we have in existing older neighborhoods with fewer children. So Mayor Stewart also told us that Coquitlam is doing something the provincial government is asking for as well, and that's building more density around transit stations, particularly SkyTrain stations. Look for other municipalities to follow that uh, in the months ahead. We still don't have all the details associated with this housing plan. Much of it is going to be in legislation, but not until the fall. One thing to keep an eye on, Chris, look for changes to Airbnbs to free up more supply for rental housing. All that in the fall. Yeah, no doubt. And developers need to get on side too. There's lots to come. Thanks very much, Keith. On that topic, squatters have taken over one of Vancouver's most expensive residential properties. The vacant lot is located on Belmont Avenue on Vancouver's west side, where homes are routinely listed in the tens of millions of dollars. Vancouver police opened an investigation after receiving reports of conflicts between residents of the Belmont area and the campers. The listing agent of the lot tells Global News the owners are aware. Community members continue to push back against the city's actions to clear tents and other structures from sidewalks on the downtown east side. Once again, city crews were down on Hastings this morning, but as Grace Key reports, unions are questioning the long-term impact of repeated decampments. At night, they set up their tents along East Hastings, and by day, 
The city of Vancouver arrives for the removal. It's a cycle that's been playing out since Wednesday's decampment, and people here say they don't want to move. Is it less safe there or here? It's the same thing, right? Like, um, if it's a fire hazard, I mean, I'm a fire hazard there as well as I am here, so what's the difference? Keep coming back and staying here, I guess, and show them that this is where we have to live and we have nowhere else to go. This comes as more organizations are speaking out against the decampment. And while they agree the safety issues needed to be addressed, they don't agree with how it carried out. I question why the city took so long to take control of the situation. But I'm not denying that there were safety issues and access issues and those types of things. Uh, and, and I know probably the neighborhood is in some ways probably uh, breathing a, a sigh of relief. Uh, but I, I don't know if they've really solved the problem. The Canadian Union of Public Employees calls the dismantling cruel and says its members can't reject the work under the labour laws, adding the tasks demanded of these workers stands in contrast to our advocacy, which calls for a harm reduction and a trauma-informed approach when dealing with vulnerable populations. Health workers worry about the implications. This really puts the lives and health status of these individuals at some risk. They're being displaced in some ways that make them more socially isolated. The result of the decampment last week will be uh, more people visiting the ERs, more people putting pressure on community health services. And as we know, those services are already stretched to the max. The city says it's important to remember that some people who were in the East Hastings encampment have housing and others were there for other reasons, such as vending or socializing. Adding everyone who wanted shelter space was accommodated and there have been enough shelter spaces every night in the system. While the dismantling continues, tents are popping up elsewhere in the area. Grace Key, Global News. A suspect is in custody after a violent incident just after midnight this morning on the SkyTrain in Burnaby. Transit police responded after riders on the Millennium Line reported a man was assaulting passengers. Officers intercepted the train at Lowheed Station and say when they tried to talk to the suspect, he hit one of them in the face and ran. Officers caught up to the suspect, and that's when police say he pulled a knife and slashed one of their jackets. Officers deployed a conducted energy weapon and fired a shot from their gun. It didn't hit the suspect, and no one was injured. Right now, the suspect is in custody. He's currently at the hospital. He's under Section 28 uh, mental health hold, where he will receive a psych evaluation first before um, seeing a judge on these charges. The suspect is known to police. Transit police say SkyTrain passengers did the right thing by calling 911. The city of Vernon is being asked to expand fire protection outside of its city limits after a deadly house fire last month. But the Vernon Fire Department wants the city to reject the expansion. The fire killed three people who lived in a rural area between Vernon and Lake Country, which doesn't have protection from any local fire department. The regional district has asked Vernon if it would consider expanding its fire coverage, something residents of the area say they would even pay for if the price was right. But Vernon's fire department says the money from an added fire protection area wouldn't be enough to cover the cost of increasing staff at the closest station, and it's suggesting the city turn down the request. It's nerve-wracking, and you try and not think about the fact that you don't have protection, fire protection, because, um, you know, you can get very um, distraught. It's very discouraging because it's the same old story for 20 years. 
And, uh, and I'm sure that in the next 20 years, it's not gonna become cost effective either. So I don't know what it would take for someone to have a, a different attitude. Vernon Council will discuss the issue on Tuesday. A B.C. couple seriously hurt in San Diego. They just arrived for a week's vacation when they were struck and badly hurt in a hit and run. Their condition now and how family and friends are rallying to help them in just over a minute. How does this rank for you in playoff pushes? The comment from former Canuck Bo Horvat that has Vancouver fans fuming and what he says about it now. Plus, I received burns on 41% of my body. Injured when a vehicle linked to a shooting exploded in a fireball. A Vancouver firefighter is honored for his efforts. Those stories coming up. But right now, a vacation to California has turned tragic for two young people from B.C. The couple in their 30s was struck by a hit-and-run driver while unloading their luggage from their rental car in San Diego. Now their family members back here in B.C. are left reeling and pleading for help. Krista Dow reports. You can see the joy on yeah. both their faces. They are very happy together. Yeah. A quick scroll through Kevin Gobranson and Daye Choi's Instagram shows a couple who loves the outdoors and loves to travel. The Gobranson siblings remembering the pair during better days. That's a really good one. It was on their latest holiday adventure to San Diego where things would take a devastating turn. On Friday, just before 6 p.m., San Diego police say the couple was unloading luggage from their rental car when they were struck by a vehicle. Police say the driver fled the scene. Choi suffered several broken bones in her leg and will be undergoing a third surgery on Tuesday, while Gobranson sustained a traumatic brain injury and remains in the ICU in a medically induced coma. They did brain surgery a few nights ago, and they are very closely monitoring him. He has extensive damage, extensive damage, and a lot of broken bones. The Gobransons say their parents are with their brother down in California. The eventual goal to fly him home, but right now the prognosis remains unclear. They're hopeful that the surgery went well, um, but it's, it's too early to tell to know what the extent of his injuries will be yet. Police are offering a $1,000 reward for information on the suspect vehicle, believed to be a black older model Lexus sedan with damage to its passenger side. Through their grief, they're pleading with the driver to come forward. Like I understand that this was an accident and you're probably very stressed whoever the driver is, but the situation we're in, please just come forward and do the right thing. The family says the couple did have medical insurance, but it's unclear what will be covered. A fundraiser to help pay for expensive medical fees has raised more than $78,000. In the meantime, they're sending a message directly to their brother. If anyone's going to pull through and has a spirit to do this, it's Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, you got this. Yeah. Hope you can pull through. Krista Dow, Global News. The fields at Langley's Noel Booth Park are closed after someone tore them up with a vehicle. According to the township, sometime between Good Friday and Saturday, someone cut the locks off two gates to get access to the baseball diamonds. The vehicle did donuts on the grass, rendering the fields unplayable. The timing couldn't be worse for the Langley Fastball Association. Teams were hoping to start the 2023 season on Saturday. 
I'm just really disappointed in the perpetrators of this. Like they were quite determined to come in. They got through two separate gates and then came down onto the field just to joyride around and create a bunch of damage. I, I really think that they don't understand the impact that this has to the community. Like you're, you're talking girls fast pitch. So you're 10, 12, 14 year old girls. They just want to come out and play softball. And now they can't on these fields due to the damage. Anyone with information is being asked to contact Langley RCMP. Residents of an apartment building in Kelowna that was flooded by a water main break last week are speaking out urging the city to do more to help them. Some tenants have nowhere else to go. They say they can't afford a hotel room so they continue living in their suites despite having no electricity. It's been four days since this 32-unit apartment building in Kelowna flooded, and since then, residents have been in the dark. They fixed the road, they fixed the pipe, they cleared the water, they dusted their hands, and they walked away. But we're still dealing with the repercussions of what happened. On Thursday, a city water main broke near the intersection of Highway 97 and Pandozi Street, sending water into the lobby and parkade of Mill Creek Landing. The building's electrical system was damaged and power to the building has been turned off. There are no emergency lights. The fire alarm system is actually not on right now. So going through the stairwells and the hallways, it is pitch black. So if you don't have a flashlight, you are going to get hurt. And the elevator's out too, so it's just stairs. Alf says the building occupancy hasn't been revoked and residents are able to stay there at their own risk, but are encouraged to find temporary housing. Because occupancy hasn't been revoked, we don't qualify for the emergency social support. And that means because there was no damage to the units themselves, uh, renter's insurance doesn't do anything. The landlord's insurance doesn't do anything. The strata insurance is for the building itself, so that doesn't cover anything for us. So we're just kind of high and dry. According to a letter posted in the lobby, the power could be off until next week or longer because a crucial piece of equipment was damaged. The one thing we do still have is running water at the very least, but there's no hot water, so that means no nice showers. You get an ice cold shower. Um, it means we can't cook any food. Uh, we can't do any, we can't clean our clothes, we can't do any laundry. Now Global News did speak with several other residents from this building who did not want to appear on camera, but said the situation is very frustrating. Right now, there's a lot of people kind of in need. Alves is urging the city to do more to help. I think this is something that, that the city should be taking care of, right? It was their pipe on their property that flooded our building. The broken water main was repaired shortly after the flood. However, restoration work of the building is still ongoing. TFS Global News, Kelowna. Coming up, Esquimalt's bunny problem. Two were rescued and we haven't seen the mum for over a week. How the community is rallying to rescue rabbits from a development site. And an Nanaimo family grieving after someone shot their pet horse. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. BC's new restrictions on rat poisons could be having an unwelcome side effect. As Jasmine Ballo reports, pest control companies say they're seeing a staggering increase in rat and mice populations. Rodents on the streets, in your homes, and in stores. They're everywhere. 
they're like people at an all-inclusive resort. They have the bracelet, they're in, they're happy, they're fed, they're not leaving. And if you feel like there's more of them around lately, you're right. In the last couple of years, we've definitely seen a further spike again. Toronto was number one in Orkin Canada's annual list of Canada's rattiest cities for 2022. But Vancouver took second place. And in fact, half of the top 10 were in British Columbia. If you're not killing off rodents quick enough, they're going to they're gonna multiply, right? And now they have more time to multiply because the province has banned certain rat poisons used to kill them off. Second generation anticoagulant rodenticide. A huge uptick because there aren't as many tools in the toolbox, even for the professionals anymore. But the reason the ban was put in place was to reduce the risk of secondary wildlife poisoning. We were noticing um, a lot of animals were being secondarily poisoned by rodenticides. Owls, which are the natural predators of rodents, were dying. That's because the raptors would eat the rodents after they'd been poisoned, but while the rodenticide was still present in their bodies. I would say dozens, if not hundreds, over a period of years, and those owls are still being found. Even after nearly two years of the ban, still birds are showing up sick, while the rodent population appears to only grow. Oh, it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's a challenge for, for sure. But the solution isn't working for pest control or raptors. And while Laundry says the ban overall is a good thing. I think our, our industry can do with using much less rodenticides. There are some negative side effects. Now people are having to get creative and that might be making the problem worse because they might not be following all the rules. A word of caution. While wildlife advocates push for a tighter ban on the use of all rodenticides. Jasmbala, Global News. A disturbing incident now near Nanaimo over the weekend has a family on edge. Somebody came onto our property, our family property, and killed our family horse. We need to find this person. Shannon Cairns made that tearful plea on social media. Her 25-year-old retired farm horse, Cash, was found Sunday with a shotgun wound to the leg and had to be put down. The family is now fearful knowing someone came onto their property and shot one of their animals for no apparent reason. For the love of God, do the right thing. You, you killed somebody's family pet. You killed... Somebody's family pet, you killed an animal that has been loved by a lot of people in this community, myself included. The property is in the community of Cedar. Lady Smith RCMP are now investigating. Bunnies are celebrated over Easter, but residents of Anasquimalt neighborhood are worried about a population explosion of what's essentially an invasive species. Kylie Stanton reports on efforts to get a handle on the problem before it gets too big. So as you can see little walkthroughs where they've been coming out from underneath. With nowhere else to go, this was the perfect spot to call home. They've been coming out and eating and living underneath the boxes. Up until recently, a mother rabbit and her five babies had been living here at the former English Inn in Esquimalt, now under construction. Yes. While three of the bunnies are unaccounted for, two have been rescued. We haven't seen the mum for over a week. The issue, it's believed she's pregnant yet again. One female rabbit can be responsible for over 400 new rabbits. 
And so definitely in each of those little babies, if one slips out, then it begins to reproduce. And the cycle just repeats and repeats. The concern, history could also repeat itself. Back in 2010, the University of Victoria had a massive issue with rabbits when the population exploded to more than 1,000. Adding to the problem, owners abandoning the animals. In 2016, the Transportation Ministry erected signs and installed surveillance here at the Helmkin Interchange in an effort to put an end to the practice. It didn't need to get to that point. You need to nip it in the bud, so to speak. But now at Jericho Beach in Vancouver, it's the same story. No, I love them, but it needs to be controlled. <laughs> The question, where exactly do they go? The municipal shelters generally only keep a few and then say they're full. And uh, really there should be a lot of room for rabbits because there's so many of them. Animal advocates say the affected municipalities need to be more proactive about the problem by stepping up not only to catch the animals, but provide funding to have them spayed and neutered. Come on. Claiming it would pay for itself in the long run. Our little rescue from last week. But here in Esquimalt, time isn't on their side. I believe they can have babies once a month. So the neighbors also want to make sure that we can find homes for them, but they don't keep multiplying. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, the evolution of car audio. Why AM radios are going away just like eight tracks and cassettes before them. And why some Okanagan nursing students feel blindsided by a decision they had nothing to do with. You might have noticed a big change is taking hold in car audio. The ritual of tuning into your favorite station is starting to disappear. Global Sean O'Shea explores the growing trend of automakers ditching AM radio. For almost as long as you've been able to buy a car, those cars have been equipped with a radio. When people get in the car, that typically is uh, one of the first things they do is punch in their favorite radio station. With long commutes, radio stations can keep drivers aware of what's going on. The biggest advantage is it's free. But now that AM radio band in new cars is being phased out by various manufacturers, in part because of electrical interference issues. Tesla doesn't offer AM in its vehicles, and now other manufacturers that make electric vehicles are expected to follow suit including Ford, which won't put AM radios in any of its 2024 vehicles. Tuning uh, in car has actually gone up over the last few years rather than gone down. And in weather emergencies and disasters, AM radio can be a lifeline. You can actually catch an AM signal, uh, particularly at nighttime, uh, from a long, long way away. And so, you know, AM is able to actually reach uh, large numbers of people and get critical information out. For those kinds of emergency situations, we would definitely need that. It would definitely be negative, yeah, it would. Though some believe a mobile phone is all they need. People around the world have this device. And now it's more important than the radio or something else. Broadcasters point out that in newer models, that AM signal can be tucked inside an FM frequency with better quality, something called HD. Most cars today do have HD receivers. In many cases, uh, the major broadcasters are migrating their AMs to HD. So you can listen to the AM station um, as you normally would on an AM radio, but you can also listen to it on FM uh, in the HD mode. 
It sounds better than AM radio, and listeners may have no other choice as car and truck makers turn away from offering a radio band not just designed for entertainment, but safety too. Sean O'Shea, Global News. A first-year nursing student at Okanagan College is expressing concern after learning her program could soon be transferred to UBC Okanagan. The provincial government recently announced that it'll transfer the two-year Bachelor of Science in Nursing program at Okanagan College to UBCO. First-year student Bridie Todd says students were blindsided by the announcement, which she says has serious implications for the college's students. We'll be required to buy new uniforms, new textbooks. Like there's a lot of equipment that we are responsible for in addition to tuition. So those are unexpected costs as well and commuting for people who chose it because it was closer to where they lived as well. The Okanagan College Faculty Association says it was shocked by the fact the college made the announcement, which has stunned and devastated its nursing faculty. Global News also reached out to the province for comment, but didn't receive a response by our deadline. Coming up, a coronation preview. It weighs four tons. Transportation fit for a king. And other details that will make it an event to behold. Plus... For a split second, thought I was dead. A first responder recognized for bravery, rushing in to help just before a blast that nearly killed him. Thousands of people are still without power in Quebec as frustration grows over restoration efforts there. Hydro-Quebec is warning that some of its residents will be without power until at least tomorrow as efforts to repair damaged power lines will not be completed as expected today. On Sunday, the provincial utility provider said power was restored to more than 90% of its customers, but that number fell short of their projection to have 95% of power restored over the weekend. Montreal health officials are asking people not to use fuel-burning appliances indoors, as more than 180 cases of carbon monoxide poisoning have been reported to public health as a result of people doing that. Crews are asking for the public's continued patience, as roughly 1,500 hydro workers will work through the day to restore power as quickly as possible. Bad weather out there. A lot of rain out here, but some sunshine in the forecast. And Christy Gordon joins us now with the details. Christy? Yeah, just a thoughts go out to people in Quebec. That storm was on Wednesday, Chris. That's some time yeah. that they've been in without power. Uh, you know, I did have a look at the forecast for that area, though, and we're going to be quite jealous. They are headed into the 20s this week, so they've got lots to look forward to, that's for sure. Uh, meanwhile, yes, it was a very wet start to our long weekend. We did catch a little bit of a break uh, late Sunday, Easter Sunday, and it allowed for this beautiful rainbow to be uh, visible all across the Fraser Valley. So thanks to everyone who shared photos with us. But it was short-lived. Today, we were back to cloudy skies. At least it was mostly dry across the region. But overall, we did have sort of a, a tough uh, long weekend. But that uh, Easter Sunday break late in the day was sure nice, wasn't it? All right. We still have significant moisture in through the interior regions, particularly the Kootenai region. It's a southwest flow, so it comes with heavy rain and rising freezing levels. So we're seeing significant snow melt along with it. Uh, the area in dark green is under a rainfall warning, and that has uh, 50 millimeters of rain possible tonight. 
night. The lighter green is 30 to 50 millimeters. And again, what we're concerned about is pooling water on the roads and a rise in the rivers and streams. So make sure you're really careful in that area. And it's snowfall in these areas further north. That's Banff up towards Jasper. Uh, so there's the rainfall. Careful if you're traveling through the end of your long weekend tonight. Uh, for the south coast, we're going to see heavier rain in the morning, but eases to a chance of showers in the afternoon. And we have a risk of thunderstorms across many parts of the interior regions, and it includes the Fraser Valley tomorrow afternoon. Lots of sunshine in through the far north. But again, a few showers for the interior regions, especially uh, the Columbia, the Kootenai region, and a risk of thunderstorms. For our region, rain in the morning, it's still a chance of showers in the afternoon, but we'll see some breaks of blue sky. And thankfully, this week, not looking nearly as wet as the start of our long weekend. It does look brighter, although we do have a few showers in the forecast sort of after uh, tomorrow afternoon. But overall, a pretty bright week in store for us, Chris. Here's a look at, at tonight's central windows weather window, which is the clearing that we saw on Easter Sunday. And happy Easter to everyone out there. All right. Thanks Including very much, you. Christy. Yeah, appreciate it. Same <laughs> to you and, and all the boys. Well, Buckingham Palace has released more details about next month's royal coronation. Global's Kyle Benning has more on what we can expect on May 6th for the first coronation in seven decades. It was King Charles's first Easter without his mother, and well-wishers greeted the royal family after Sunday's mass. Now, Buckingham Palace has released invitations as the royal coronation for the king and queen consort is set to take place in less than four weeks. The coronation includes a procession using this 260-year-old gold state coach, which has carried new kings and queens in every coronation since 1831. It's nearly four metres tall, it's over seven metres long. It weighs four tonnes. Because of that, it can only be used at a walking pace, which really adds to the majesty and the stateliness of this great royal procession. The coach will travel more than seven kilometres, leaving Westminster Abbey after the coronation and travelling back to Buckingham Palace. The procession will include soldiers serving in armed forces from across the Commonwealth. And it's all one big team effort, so we've got eight horses which will be strapped to the gold coach, four postillions and walking grooms all the way around, and we're all there to make sure that the king gets there safely and, and returns safely. On the way to the coronation, the king and queen consort will travel in the carriage built for the late queen's diamond jubilee. It includes items from the royal family's castles, as well as parts of British history. The interior is inlaid with specimen woods from places such as Balmoral Castle, from Osborne House on the Isle of Wight, the Palace of Holyrood House in Edinburgh, but also from places and people associated with British and world history, as a fragment of Florence Nightingale's dress, for example. While these items are an integral part of the coronation ceremony, the oldest one is the silver gilt coronation spoon, which was first recorded in the 14th century. It will carry the oil used to anoint Charles and Camilla, just as it has in every coronation ceremony, since 1603. Kyle Benning, Global News. What an event that will be. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Very tall order, big challenge coming up for the Whitecaps. Yes, that's uh, tomorrow night. The Whitecaps need to beat LAFC. This is Champions League by at least four goals to advance to the semifinal. So that'll require a lot of things for that to happen. Maybe make some crazy thing. I don't know. We're Canadian. Maybe we can play without goalkeeper at the end like hockey. Well, I think I'd leave the goalie in for a little while. Uh, the Caps lost the opener 3-0. Tomorrow's game will be in Los Angeles with the chances for Vancouver to win are kind of slim, I'd say. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Squire. Also ahead. That's what first responders do. We're, we're there to help. An off-duty firefighter receives an award of merit 
for putting his body on the line to help others. All right, Squires here with sports and news out of Canucks camp. Well, I think the Canucks are now in the Bedard Derby for sure because Ottawa has just beaten Carolina 3-2. I don't think Vancouver can now get over Ottawa because they would have a tiebreaker against the Canucks. So I'll check that. But I think the Canucks, despite all the winning they've done, are still in the Bedard Derby. Not a great percentage, but they do have a lottery ticket nonetheless. You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> and uh, yes, their home schedule is all over. We won't see them at home until October, but they do have three road games left. They start tonight on that three-game road trip against the LA Kings. Colin Dealey is going to be in goal tomorrow. It's Anaheim Thursday. The season will end in Arizona. And after being ghosted by Rick Tockett for pretty much all the game on Saturday, Andre Kuzmenko and Vitaly Kravtsov will start tonight on Elias Pettersson's line. Just looking for them to be a little more closer together and be a little bit more um, harder on the pucks. You know, it's, instead of waiting for things to happen. You know, you're playing L.A., they don't give you much time. Like, if you're going to play a waiting game, you're not going to get the puck. So you got to go get the puck. Bo Horvat's transformation from hero to heel was kind of like when Hulk Hogan joined NWO. Vancouver fans couldn't believe he dissed them in a post-game remark on the weekend, talking about how fun it is to play with the Islanders in a playoff race. But he wanted a do-over, so yesterday he apologized. And we'll show you what he said originally and then what he said after. How does this rank for you in playoff pushes, the excitement of this building and the fans' involvement over the last couple of games? Yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable. It's a lot better than Vancouver, I'll tell you that for free. It was it was kind of the heat of the moment thing where you know, you know I didn't mean any disrespect to the fans of Vancouver, or, um, you know my teammates or you know the fan or the, the city of Vancouver at all. You know, it wasn't directed at them at all. It was just um, you know it was the fans were all excited and, and I was excited to be in a playoff push and, and you know I, I I really enjoyed my time in Vancouver. I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect them at all. So I think. Uh, no, I'm sorry if it offended anybody, but um, I'm really happy to be in this position right now. I'm really happy to be here, and, and I just wanted to express that. The Whitecaps are down 3-0 in their two-game total goal series in Champions League against LAFC, which means Vancouver has to win by four to win this fight tomorrow. They will start their best offensive players in this game and obviously just try to fill the net as much as possible. If you're able to break the first line of pressure with continuity, and at the possession, then in the final third, we really need to go at them, attacking the space, attacking the first, uh, the first post as soon as the ball goes wide, uh, playing the ball beyond the line every time that uh, we have the possibility to do it. Because I have also to say, since the way that we want to play tomorrow, very offensive, and the offensive power of LAFC, I don't think that three goals are enough to, to, to do it. I think we need to score four or five goals because they will, they, they will probably score. Slim. Mm -hmm. uh, SFU's football team was always over its head when it was playing in NCAA Division II, but they would be on level ground if they could go back to playing against Canadian universities like they used to. And the head of Canada West Conference definitely sympathizes with what's happened to the SFU players, and he'll see if maybe a lifeline could be found for them. Well, I, I just feel for the student-athletes. It's, it's disheartening to see a program, any program for that matter, uh, cut and to see those student-athletes now looking potentially for a new place to play. 
um, you feel for the coaches, you feel for the alumni, the administrators, the coaches. Overall, it's uh, it's really difficult to see. Rocky Olford is the managing director of Canada West, and his youth sport conference and its board of directors will meet on Tuesday to discuss options and perhaps a possible road for SFU's football team to rejoin Canadian University football. And really, it's an opportunity for our board to discuss what the potential process could look like if, in fact, there is um, an opportunity for SFU to uh, apply to rejoin Canada West and U Sports. So it's, it's really simply uh, that type of a meeting. Clearly there's an appetite to save the program and have football continue at SFU. Maybe not from the school's administrators, but definitely in the football community. We're about to find out if Simon Fraser and its athletic director, Teresa Hansen, are sincere and genuine when they collectively say they want to do what's right for the student athletes. SFU did reach out to Canada West. Question is how big the reach truly was when it came to moving to youth sport. There's no assurance with youth sport. So there's, there's, it's complicated. There's levels of bylaws. There's a conference, there's a conference level and there's a youth sport level. And, um, and part of our work was it was highly unlikely that uh, one of the bylaws would be changed. Is it a courtesy call um, or was there actually a little bit of meat on the bone for that conversation? I mean, I was under the impression when we spoke with Ken West and I spoke with SFU that there was a bit of an appetite to at least explore it. Um, it sounds like now it was more of a check-the-box check type of, a, of an exercise. Here we go. Blake Nill runs UBC's football program. He also coached against Simon Fraser the last time they played in Canada West before SFU departed for the NCAA back in 2009. Speaking as a big believer in collegiate sports, if it was his personal choice, He'd welcome SFU back with open arms. From my point of view, Jay, they bring more value to UBC because of the rivalry. And then that's the reason, you know, is that uh, I think it would be a win-win with UBC and SFU playing regularly. It could be a really good opportunity to add another program if that's our members' desire to do that. And um, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. Jay Janower, Global Sports. I think it would be great if they got back into Canadian University football. Mm -hmm. And it looks like there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. All right, just ahead, an off-duty firefighter who has no regrets after nearly dying in an act of heroism. Jordan Armstrong is keeping an eye on things and has a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, more tonight on that pricey Vancouver property that's been taken over by squatters. From the street on Belmont Avenue, you can see a number of structures. One of them has graffiti on it, telling visitors to yell three times before entering. Neighbors are upset, but tonight on Global News at 11, you'll hear from one former politician who says if the property's been empty for several years, then it should be used for low-income housing. That story tonight at 11. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Jordan. A Vancouver firefighter says he thought he was dead when a vehicle exploded right in front of him. As Kristen Robinson reports, Massimo Sarantola's recovery has been hard, but he's happy to once again be doing what he loves. I'm almost there. There'll be lifelong scars, but I can deal with those. Massimo Sarantola says he's close to a full recovery. More than a year after his life changed. I heard a loud bang. Talk like that. The Vancouver firefighter working in his backyard when he heard yelling from the street. And I saw the car engulfed in flames. With what's going on in um, the lower mainland with the gang conflict, 
I knew there was something not right. Without hesitating, Sarantola ran to see if anyone was inside. When the vehicle appeared to be empty, he grabbed a hose. As a neighbor tried to turn the water on, the fire exploded. And that's when I started seeing orange and gray come at me. And I kind of put my hands up in front of me and turned to cover. The first split second thought I was dead until I heard her screaming at me, you're on fire, you're on fire. Neighbors and firefighters rushed to help Sarantola, who suffered second and third degree burns to 41% of his body, including his hands, arms, back, head and face. He spent six weeks in the VGH burn unit. After months of physio, the 19-year veteran firefighter was able to return to his full-time gig last December. My first question to Dr. Papp the next day was, when can I go back to work? And that was my goal. This is um, the fire chief's accommodation. On the one-year anniversary, Port Moody firefighters honoured Sarantola with a Medal of Merit for his selfless actions off-duty. That's what first responders do. We're, we're there to help, whether we're getting paid or not. While he doesn't consider himself a hero, he does believe his brush with death happened for a reason. And I have not yet met a firefighter that has said they've seen a car explode like that. So it's brought a new awareness to us and hopefully the public. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, very thankful for what you did, Massimo. All right, uh, let's bring in, do we have Christy? There she is. I love the three box. Hi. There we go. Last word on weather goes to you. Sure. So uh, we are expecting rainfall tomorrow morning, but a much brighter end to our day tomorrow. We still do have a chance of showers through the latter part of the day, but overall brighter and drier. Wednesday's looking great as well. Look forward to seeing that sunshine again. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.